Hello you, and welcome back to my podcast, Spoken Journal. Last week, I shared on my first ever episode how most of us, including myself, tend to procrastinate the projects our hearts are truly longing for, often out of fear, and how with little steps and a bit more confidence, we can eventually take that first step out of our comfort zone and finally begin. And I wanted to start this episode by sharing with you that I am so, so happy that I have taken that first step here. The mountains that once stood between me and this podcast are now hills that I can easily manage. I am aware that I'm saying this after having recorded and shared only one episode so far, but that is truly how I feel. Weight has dropped from my shoulders and doors I once felt were blocked are now standing wide open. Not to say that it's easy though. Oh man, this is my second time recording this episode. That means that I'm at about six hours of work in for this episode only, seeing I deleted the first take after not being very happy with it. But that's a choice that I'm making and a huge learning curve that I will keep sharing with you guys here. So let's see how things are going after a few more episodes. Now, one more thing, which must not go without mention, is the many, many heartwarming and encouraging messages that I have received from you guys. As a creator, I often read that I should do my best not to be shaken too much by the outcomes and opinions of others. I mean, both the positive and the negative ones. And for sure, when it's pure about the act and the sake of creating, I can fully stand by this. The opinions of others should not stand between the artist and their art, nor should it change the way that you feel about your own work. The book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert is a must-read that I found incredibly helpful, as it beautifully taps on this mindset of why we create. But let's be honest. It helps and motivates a lot when people actually love what you create. Besides that, I'm hoping that this podcast will also nourish and strengthen the online community that I'm wishing to build and grow with. So naturally, Spoken Journal should bring something to the table for you too. Your support is without measure, and I want to let you know that it is so, so felt. So truly, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Your kindness means the world to me and shows me again and again the wonderful community that I'm surrounded by. Wonderful individuals supporting one another. Not only supportive in times of hardship, but also able to genuinely celebrate each other's wins. And I find this incredibly important. The ability to celebrate each other, especially when you come to realize the amount of effort and work that people put into things. I think most of us are often unaware of what it actually takes to get somewhere. When we are only confronted with the end results, of course. But in my opinion, as I mentioned in a previous episode too, this is all the more reason for us to share the process. Now, let me tell you about a time where I did not feel as supported as I do today. A time where I was seen as some weirdo chasing dreams that were too big to come true. It was about 14 years ago, I was 16 at the time, that I actively started sharing with my surroundings that I wanted to go to Japan. These days, or at least pre-COVID-19, that may not sound like much, but 14 years ago, this was kind of a huge deal. Everyone was planning on what college or university they would go to after having finished high school, as was to be expected from you. 
but I couldn't help but feel that this wasn't for me. A different road was calling my name and I had to follow it to see what would happen. Truth be told, I've never been what people call conventional. I've always done things my own way, despite the fact that I would get teased for it or even bullied. It was hard at times, but being someone I'm not would have been even harder. And saying this now, I realize that this is one of my core values that presented itself early on. The need to stay true to myself. Besides choosing not to go the expected route, traveling to a country so far away, long term and solo and as a young woman, it was unheard of and I was declared crazy. My parents, however, always supported me in my endeavors and know that once my mind is set on something, it's going to happen no matter what. As a young teenager, the feeling of the world being against me, however, had always provided me with some weird sense of motivation. Perhaps it was the need to prove others wrong, or simply to play the hero of my own storyline. That I was highly invested in anime series at the time, which had similar storylines where the protagonist had to fight their way through adversity, was probably also kind of feeding that vibe. But all was good as it was a positive drive and a motivation booster. I was literally fighting hard on almost a daily basis within the dojo, where I trained several forms of martial arts and fought for my dreams outside the dojo. All the money I earned on my part-time job after school and during the weekends went straight to my savings. I didn't spend a single cent ever. Never went out for parties or anything, nor did I feel the need to. And where high school was my prison, the karate dojo was my second home. And time that wasn't spent at either of those was spent working. I had a very clear goal in front of me, and nothing could stop me. Travel wasn't as accessible as it is now. There were no smartphones yet. The phone I carried with me was a Nokia 3310. The only thing I could do besides making a phone call or sending a text message was to play Snake. I would visit the library at school during breaks to crawl behind one of the five computers there and search the web for information about Japan. Keeping my spirits high as I daydreamed about a time I would finally be able to fly. As I hear myself saying this, I have to admit that I've always been quite dramatic in a way, but always in a positive way that made life more interesting for me. So yeah, people would say I was crazy. I would never succeed. It would be way too expensive and too far. Some would ask me if I was truly going all by myself. But most didn't even get there as it meant having the conversation of me actually going. I do feel though that over time as I persisted on my goal and didn't even budge the slightest, people started to actually believe I would go. Some thought I was crazy to the very end. But more people started to enjoy watching me make the impossible possible. There was one major setback, however. I failed my last year of high school after having prioritized karate competitions over school exams. I never liked going to school. I felt incredibly out of place, and the teasing and bullying only strengthened that feeling. I felt as if I wasn't accepted for who I was. But I refused to be less. Funny thing, though, even though I felt uncomfortable at school, I mean, I even fled to the library and other quiet places on a regular basis, so I didn't need to interact with others. I somehow maintained a deep-rooted confidence that, for example, 
maybe step on stage during prom night to sing for the entire school, simply because I wanted to. Fear never stopped me to do the things I wanted to experience or achieve. But doing another year at school where the end had been within reach? It was devastating. Nevertheless, I got over it, I redid the year, and finally received my diploma, also known as my Ticket to Freedom. It was on my 18th birthday itself that I kissed my parents and sister goodbye, stepped onto a plane to Japan, and stayed there for an entire year. A huge, huge dream coming true. I had given every single cent I had saved up in the past years to AFS, a non-profit organization that organizes exchange programs. They helped me with all the logistics, such as my flight, receiving a student visa, arranging a local homestay, and a high school, at which I would be staying during my year in Japan. My parents had made two demands, under which I was allowed to go to Japan. The first one, I had to work hard and pay for it myself as much as possible. And the second one, I had to finish high school in the Netherlands first. So, although I had already finished high school, I still went to one in Japan, purely for the experience itself. I mean, I didn't even know what class I was in for the first couple of months. Everything was in Japanese and I didn't speak the language, yet. I was the only foreigner in class, and for the first couple of months there were two other foreigners in the entire school. One girl from Hungary and one from France, but that was it. It was a complete deep dive into the local lifestyle. In the village where I lived, I was probably the first foreigner that some had ever seen in their lives. Tourism in Japan has increased and Japan has become a much more popular destination in the past few years. But back in 2008, it was pretty rare for me to bump into other foreigners outside the bigger cities. Even back in 2018, when I visited 10 years later, the village where I had lived wasn't visited by tourists. It's such a small and simple village with rice fields and lots of elderly people. Funny thing, whenever I get into conversation with a Japanese person, they often even laugh when I mention the place. And they will say, Mechainaka, which is a local dialect and a funny way of saying extreme countryside. And that's exactly what it is. All the houses are the traditional build, made from wood, rooms divided by sliding doors and tatami mats on the floor. I remember the freezing cold during the winters, since there wasn't any electrical heating system. We would all crawl in front of the heater that runs on gas bottles, or lie down underneath the kotatsu, which is a low wooden table covered with a heavy blanket, and it has a heating source built in underneath the table. I would often climb on one of the rooftops and just gaze over the old houses that surrounded ours. The way the sun hit the wooden doors in the early morning and even the air that tasted sweeter. I remember it all like it was yesterday. And to me, that place feels like home. I love it so much and right now, I miss it. Realizing my dream when I was 18 is one of my bigger milestones of my life especially considering the amount of time that I was working and living towards it. I don't think I have ever experienced the same amount of single focus and motivation as I had during these years of preparation. I mean, the number of working hours and amount of sweat at shitty jobs I went through at that age. With only my extreme clear vision that made me push through it all almost effortlessly. 
to be honest, for the longest time after Japan, I have longed for that kind of extreme focus. To regain that clear vision that I had experienced before. But it never came back. Not like that. At first, I felt in limbo. I didn't know what to do next. My years before had a very clear purpose and I had realized the dream. But what was next? I had never thought about what might come after. I felt lost and unable to hook myself to a new singular focus, thinking that I needed one. Until I learned that I hold many different kinds of dreams close to my heart. Not as apparent and dominant as when I was fighting my way to Japan, but just as beautiful and worth fighting for. And that is exactly what I've been doing. I think that as life around us changes, as we change as individuals, our dreams change too. And that's okay. Within the many dreams that we hold close to our hearts, some may also clash with others. And then we have to choose which ones we prioritize. Personally, and I know that this may sound a bit dramatic, but if I would die today, I would have no regrets. And of course, I would prefer to live. There is still so much that I would love to do. But what I'm trying to say is that even though... There are lots of memories of pain and suffering. They do not outweigh the good moments. I can rest in knowing that I have always done my best to create a good life for myself and those around me. I have always done my best to live fully and I have actively chosen love over fear every single day. And on the days that weren't pretty, that was the best I could do on those days. And that was enough. That was okay too. I think that if we can't embrace our bad days, we lose perspective of our good days. A balanced life has its ups and downs. And even though I no longer seek the wild spikes in both directions, I also don't seek a flat line. We mustn't forget that balance is movement, not stillness. And every day when we wake up, we make a choice. There will always be factors that we can't control. But beyond those, it's up to us. And I believe that sometimes choosing to stay in bed is also a good choice. You know, living the kind of life that is good for you. Living up to your own expectations and not those of others. Making sure that in the end, you can find peace and stand behind the choices that you have made, whatever they may be. And if you manage to surround yourself with people who support you in the choices that you make, genuinely support the healthy choices that you make for yourself, then you will feel like the luckiest person on earth. At least, that's how I feel right now. I think we just came full circle, as you are part of making me feel supported. So thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you for being here. Please feel free to share some of your own wild dreams with me and who knows, I might be able to support you back. For now, thank you for listening to the second episode of Spoken Journal. I will be in full preparation in the coming days for a week spent outdoors at Winter Woods. I might be covering this in the next episode. Let's see. For now, see you on the next one.